Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all. It is good to be here on Palm Sunday, uh, preparing for Holy Week, declaring today, Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to the God who is with us. And I hope and pray, and I think it rather appropriate that as we prepare for Holy Week and prepare for uh, what's going to take place next Sunday, Easter Sunday, spoiler alert, that's happening uh, next week to God be the glory for that. Uh, man, I hope that and pray that this in word of encouragement today is a word that I believe is appropriate for us to finish on, seeing as how we're going to be finishing Malachi today in preparation uh, for Easter Sunday. And so I hope and pray that you're encouraged by a word of prophecy that comes um, from Malachi, from God to the people about what is to come. And so all that to say, appropriate text to uh, be in, in Palm Sunday, leading us into uh, Easter Sunday, and I'm looking forward um, to just unpacking this truth together. Now, again, we're on our final week of walking through the book of Malachi. I hope that you've been encouraged by the book of Malachi again. Many people have thought Malachi's words to be very harsh towards the people of God, and, and while that is true each and every step of the way, we've actually seen God's covenant grace on display. And so this morning we are going to end our text with one final dispute that God has against the people. And so one more time, we're going to see God bring an argument against the people. And yet through the argument, God is going to show himself to continue and to remain faithful, even to a faithless people, thus reminding us and further revealing to us more of God's faithful promises, or as we have said, God's covenant grace towards his people. So this morning, what I'm hoping that we see is I'm hoping we can look at this text and see how some hard words truly reveal hard hearts within the people. And yet, because of God's covenant grace, we still have the pleasure and the blessing uh, to worship, to serve, and to enjoy a holy God. So if you're looking for a title and you're like, wow, that was a mouthful. Um, let me simplify that a little bit more. Uh, we're going to call this one this morning, hard words, hard hearts, and a holy God. And we're going to unpack all of this together. But before we jump into this text, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever thought hard words before in your life? Have you ever verbalized, maybe in a prayer time, in your own prayer closets or wherever it is that you pray, maybe it's, maybe it's outside at a sunrise or in the evening at a sunset in the, in the cool or a not so cool of the evening now, I should say. Have you ever spoken hard words to God before? You see, as we've been walking through Malachi together, if you've, if you've not noticed this yet, this book has been filled with hard words from the people of God. And we see it every time they question God in each one of the disputes that are mentioned in this text. Now again, let's remember that, that these questions weren't just questions to seek understanding from God, or, or better yet, to seek an explanation from God, but rather these questions were full of delay. They were full of doubt about God and, and who God was and, and why they should even worship God in the first place. And so as we look at this text, I want to ask you the following questions. Have you, have you ever had any of these thoughts yourself, whether in your heart or your mind, or maybe you've even verbalized them? Maybe there's been days where being a part of the local church and serving, you've said to yourself, serving God in this particular area is useless. 
Maybe you've said this phrase before, God doesn't care about me, nor does God care about what it is that I am doing. Maybe in the midst of your own prayer time, you've, you've uttered these words, I've been a good person, I've been obedient, and yet God's plan for my life is not working out. Better yet, maybe you've been the person who, who's thought this before, I've been faithful to the word, I've, I've encouraged others to, to do the same in their own faithfulness, and yet God, where has that gotten me in life? Or maybe... Maybe, just maybe, you've prayed this prayer. Lord, I read my Bible. I pray. I attend church regularly. And God, the reality is life just keeps getting harder. Friends, leave. I just don't know. I just don't know, Jesus, if I want to keep following you like this. I want to say to you this morning, if you've ever said or thought those words or, or maybe something similar, maybe it wasn't those exact words, but a, but a similar phrase, then I want to encourage you for just a moment. You are not alone in those thoughts. In fact, in our, our last section of our text, God's going to reveal that he himself knew his people had those same thoughts and same words. And yet in the, the midst of their own words, in the midst of words spoken from hardened hearts, in the midst of their own pain, God has a word of encouragement for his people. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to, to join me. We're going to begin reading in Malachi chapter 3 in verse 13, and we're going to read all the way to the end of Malachi chapter 4. And so once you can and have found your place in the Word and you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. We read, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. 
Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, again, if you are paying attention to our text, you now can see that God really has some challenging words for one particular group of people, but yet for another, he offers words of hope and words of encouragement. So clearly, we can already see in our text that there were some who had already moved away from God, moved into just uh, a hardened situation to where the word is now calling the people out for their hard words and their hard hearts. However, as we continue to read through this text, we see that there was a, a remnant who in the midst of their own pain, in the midst of their own loneliness, were doing everything that they could to continue to remain faithful to a holy God. So God takes notice of this and, and really offers a word of hope. So through the text this morning, we're going to see that we still serve and worship a holy God. He's a God who knows our hearts, a God who knows that there will be times in our life where we will come before him and we ourselves, for whatever reason, will feel abandoned. And yet it is God who will then say, I am faithful and I am still with you. I still have a plan for you. So what I want us to do is, is jump back into our text, taking this thing section by section to see how our final dispute will play out and how that dispute will end with a holy God pointing people to the one who is coming, the one who will bring God's covenant grace as an eternal promise to his people. So go back and look with me, if you would, in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. God again says that your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping this charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Already in this passage, God now addresses a group of his own people who have hard words to be said to God, which ultimately reveal the hardened hearts that now exist within the people. In fact, God acknowledges this in the very first thing he says in verse 13. He says, your words have been hard against me. And as if the people, again, like we said last week, and the week before that, instead of just saying, wow, God, you know us, you do know our hearts, you do know our thoughts, you do listen to us, notice how the people respond. They question God the same way they've been doing the entire book of Malachi. They say to God, how have we spoken against you? To which God replies with their own words. He says to them, you say, it is vain to serve God. You say, what is the profit of keeping his charge? Walking in mourning before the Lord. 
You see, the people revealed their own beliefs, their own heart. And what they revealed about their own heart was that there was now no benefit nor no difference in those who serve God and worship God compared to those who do not. The people of God at this point are literally saying, what is the point of serving God? What is the point of worshiping a God who has clearly abandoned us? Now pay attention to the phrase, keeping his charge, which means doing what God's laws command. Or the phrase, walking as in mourning, which also means that we are called to deny ourselves pleasures to express sorrow for our sins, or better yet, to deny ourselves in order to serve God faithfully. Literally, with using these two phrases, the people are saying to themselves, we might as well do whatever we want in this world because it really doesn't matter whether we serve God or whether we serve ourselves. I mean, talk about missing the boat here. How many times have we spent with other quote-unquote Christians where we've heard them say this very same thing? They say things like, it doesn't matter if you read the Word of God. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you attend church. It doesn't matter if you like some books of the Bible, whereas other books of the Bible you can simply discard because they are no longer needed. It doesn't matter whether or not you worship. Because God loves all people. Pay attention to what you're hearing when people say that to you. Because yes, does God love all people? Yes, why? Because we're all image bearers. We are all image bearers. But pay attention to this fact as well. God is love and God does love because God is holy. Again, talk about missing the boat. Especially in light of what it is that we're called to as believers. Especially, again, in light of what God has already done for the people. They had clearly forgotten what it was that God had done for his people. And yet, here's the reality for us today. We could look at this text as, as believers today, living on the other side of the resurrection, living on the other side of the, the hope that has come in Jesus Christ and the hope that is to come in eternity. And we could look at this text and say that these people were clearly out of line for thinking this way. But here's the reality. We ourselves today do the very same thing. You see, here's the truth. As Christians today, we are not immune to the problems of this world. Our marriages will end up in disarray if we are not careful. Our marriages can and will fall apart. Our bodies, as we get older, will start to fail us. We can get cancer. We can lose our jobs. We can lose friends. We can find ourselves in moments 
where we are surrounded by insurmountable debt and we have no idea what to do in that moment. And yet all of these realities can lead us to question the point of our suffering, which is exactly what God is now saying that the people of God are doing. And then pay attention to the text here and how the people now respond to God in these moments. Look with me at verse 15. God says, we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test. Again, testing faithlessly like we talked about last week. They put God to the test and they escape. I mean, can we just pause and take stock of what has just happened in this passage? God knows our thoughts. He hears our hearts. You may not ever verbalize these things, but you are screaming them at God. Again, this was not the people saying these things. The people at this moment didn't look at God and say, look, the wicked are better than we are. They they challenge God every day. And what happens? They're free to go. They probably weren't even verbalizing this stuff. They were probably saying this stuff internally. And God says in this moment, I hear you. I hear your thoughts. I hear your heart. You're screaming at me loud and clear. I mean, think about that. Think about that because here's the thing that we often neglect and fail to see is what we do in secret, God sees it as if it was happening as clear as day. That thought you're thinking, that that hurt you're feeling, that, that, that thought you walk into a church and say, man, I'd rather be any other place than be here today, God hears that. And he doesn't just hear it. Clearly, verse 15 shows he knows exactly where it's coming from. So let's jump into the text. Literally, what the people are saying is this. Verse 15, the people who don't believe in God, the people who doubt God, the people who mock God have it better than we do. They're literally saying, come on, God, what is wrong with you? We have been faithful to you. What have we done? This is ridiculous, God. We deserve better. And so notice, God's words, which are their own words, show us just how hard the hearts of his people had become. They were so hardened that they were blaming God for their failures. They were blaming God for all of their grief. They were blaming God for all of their heartache that was, that was happening around them. For them, God was no longer a God of hope but rather he was a God of disappointment. And so in the midst of their hardness, they were missing who God is. But then pay attention as we continue to walk through this text. There was another group. And through that group, God shows us that there is another way to respond. Look with me in verse 16. Text says this, And then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who uh, feared the Lord and esteemed his name. 
They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Now notice in this particular passage, God reveals the great divide that now exists between the faithless and those who are now faithful. Again, verse 16 says, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Now pay attention to this because we're not told how big this group is. But we do know that there was a remnant who remained faithful to God even in the midst of all the pain that was going on around them. Now again, these people were not a perfect people. They probably questioned God as well. The difference is this. Their questions did not come from a place of blame or animosity towards God, but rather their questions flowed towards God, knowing that it was God who would answer them. You see, these people truly feared God and they honored Him. Thus, their faith in God was relational as opposed to being transactional. Meaning this, They had a relationship with the Lord, not a relationship that says this, God, you do for me, and then I will do for you. Now, as with most of our story in Malachi, again, I want us to pay attention because what matters is not what the people say or what the people do, but rather it is what God now says to them. Verse 16 tells us the Lord paid attention. The Lord heard them. A book of remembrance was written before him. We now see that the Lord, again, like we just said, he sees and he hears all things. It is the Lord who sees and hears the heart. In fact, you fast forward to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. You read these words, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But notice, coming back to Malachi, when God takes it one step further, he doesn't just see and hear, but we see that he keeps record of the faithfulness of the people. And as if that wasn't enough, he gets to verse 17 and he says, and they shall be mine in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Now, again, if you underline or highlight in your Bible, this is one of those moments of encouragement in Malachi that you should underline and hold on to. You see, in the Hebrew, the phrase treasured possession literally means private stash. Clearly, it is the treasure that holds the most value. I mean, think about that for a moment. Stop and think about that for a moment. I mean, I know a lot of us are parents in the room and we probably value our children, but the reality is even though we want to lock them up, we don't. We share them with the world, but they still have value. However, I think all of us, whether you're young or old, you probably have something that you value that's probably kept locked away somewhere, right? It's probably in a, in a safety deposit box or maybe it's in the top back part of your top drawer in your bedroom. Or maybe you're like my dad, you like keep it between the mattresses. It's something that's like valuable to you. Maybe it's like a baseball card or it's like a, if you're a comic book collector, maybe it's like a comic book that you have or something. You know what I mean? It's that thing of value that, that you know it's there. You keep it hidden away. You do reveal it to people like, hey, let me show you this cool thing I have. And they're like, ooh, can I touch it? And then you have that moment of like, mm. I love you, but I don't know if I love you like that. Like it's, it's a true test of friendship. You know what I'm talking about? It's that valued thing. And then here's the reality. This is exactly how God is describing his relationship to his people. He says to them, man, I value you. 
I value you so much that you're the most important thing in my life. And I'm not, I'm not locking you away to keep you hidden from the world. I'm not doing that. But what I am doing is this. I'm holding tightly to you because you are of great value to me. Notice how the Lord declares in this moment that the remnant are truly his. And then we get into verse 18, and here's what God does. God now doubles down again on the distinction between those who have hard hearts and those who he treasures, this, this faithful remnant. And we again see that the Lord sees, knows, and records who are his and who are not. Again, we are now seeing that there is a difference in what comes from one group versus what the other group will now face. But I want us to pay attention to what we're learning about God here. You see, God has a true love and a special delight for those who are truly his. And brothers and sisters of Christ, we need to take note of what's being said so far. Because here's the reality. Oftentimes, this is what we do as believers. We believe that God's love for us is attached to how things are going in the moment. If things are all of a sudden good and we're happy, we say things, man, I'm just blessed by God. Blessed, blessed, blessed. I'm just, I'm just enjoying God's favor. Isn't God good? We say that because of how happy we are in the here and the now, but then the reality sets in and all of a sudden something changes. Life interrupts us. All of a sudden job circumstances changes. Family begins to fall apart. Kids continue to stay sick. And what do we do? We look to God and say, clearly I've done something wrong against God. Sometimes there, there are Christians that like live in our community, and I use that word lightly, who will literally walk up to another believer and say, the reason why you're sick is because of some sin in your life. And I want to tell you, when we say things like that, we're basing our relationship with God on our emotions. And so here's what God teaches. God, through the prophet Malachi, teaches us that we need to see ourselves in light of God's favor, not in spite of it. God has already declared that we are his treasure. God has declared that we belong to him and God will never let go of what belongs to him. By the way, we call that perseverance of the saints. Right? Yeah. Okay. Brothers and sisters, see yourself as God sees you. See yourself in light of God's favor, not as how you think you are seen based upon your current circumstances. Now, verse 18, coming back to the text, becomes a transition passage for God's message to show that that not only is judgment coming and there's going to be the separation that happens, but on that day, those who are truly his will be separated from those who are not. And then look at what happens as we get into chapter four, verses one through three. It says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. 
Now we get into chapter four and we are reminded of what has already been said by God earlier in chapter three when he spoke of the refiner's fire. Now God says that those who speak hard words now reveal that they have hard hearts against God. God says that on the day I come, they will dry up like stubble and they will be tossed into the fire. Nothing will remain of them. Everything about them. The phrase is root nor branch. All of it will be reduced to ash. While the opposite is true for those who remain faithful, according to verse 2. Verse 2, we see a different kind of heat that is coming, which will be like the, the gentle warming heat from the rising of the sun on a perfect morning. Or, or maybe you're one of those sunset type people and you've never seen a sunrise before. It's kind of like the, the warming of a, of a sunset, that last little glow before it, before it disappears over the gulf. Now I want you to think about these two phrases and I want to ask you this question. Which one sounds better to you today? Being found against God and therefore scorched to ash because of your sin, in your sin, or to experience the joy of a beautiful sunrise? I mean, no brainer for me. Give me faithfulness to God for the win. Give me hoping in God even when life gets hard. Literally, Malachi is telling the faithful that God's righteousness will rise on them in blessing and there will be healing in its wings. Brothers and sisters in Christ, please hear this word today. Man, today may be hard. Today may be painful. Today may bring worry. Today may bring unfathomable pain or grief, or perhaps in days past, you have been dealing with these things, but rest in knowing that a day is coming where the Lord will appear. A day is coming where we will see him face to face. And in an instant, in a moment, our pain will be gone forever. And based on the text, our tears will turn to exultant joy. That is what is coming for the believer in Christ. I mean, just pay attention to the word itself, talking about the word and, and, and how the word bridges together in triumphant joy what we have in the Lord and what is to come. You look, at, you look at Psalm 1, just to give you an example here, okay? Psalm 1 teaches us to delight in the law of God. It teaches us to cling to the word of God, to place our hope in the word of God, to pray the word of God, to sing the word of God, to keep the word of God close to us because we know that according to this word that we've kept close to us, that if you fast forward to the end of the book, which by the way, you could do that in the Bible, if you get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, you see that a day is coming where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death, according to the word, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Because the word of God from the Lord himself tells us, for the former things have passed away. Go back to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. I love how the Bible does this, by the way. It just all ties together so beautifully. This is why we can leap like calves. 
Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever seen a calf leap before? I have. I'm not going to tell you about it because now the countryness in me is going to come out. I'm going to let that go. But let me put it to you like this. One day your pastor is going to leap. I can barely get an inch off the ground, but one day I'm going to leap. Steve, we're going to leap together. Paul, where are the rest of my old men in the church? Rick, I see you. I'm only calling these brothers out because we just recently did a top 10 count of oldest men, and I think I've made that category. I did. Brothers, we're going to leap. Jose, you got bad knees. You're going to leap, dude. I love you, Dean. We're going to leap. I mean, can you imagine what that's going to be like? And why? And it's, it's not the fact that we get to leap. We're going we're gonna to leap. Daryl, I haven't forgotten you either. I see you, brother. Rex, I see you, brother. We're going to leap because all of a sudden our pain, our mourning, our hurts will be wiped away. And all that will exist is the fact that we will stand in God's glory. And all we will know in that moment is the peace, the love, the comfort, and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And because of that, we will leap. Yes. Coming back to our text. 4 verse 2, we will leap like calves. But then notice what else it says. It says that we will tread down, verse 3, tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. Now, I have not walked across hot ash recently. So let me kind of give a comparison. I imagine this is going to be more like those days where we go to the beach. And as you often experience when you go to the beach, what do you do? You get sand all over everything. It is everywhere. You bring sand home, even if you didn't want to. But here's what we do. We get sand all over everything. It gets in our cars. It gets in our shoes. And then what we try to do is we try to wash them off at the beach, and some of that sand falls off. But then here's what happens when we get home. We get home, and we wash again. We take showers, and then what happens? The sand falls off. This is exactly what God says will happen to the wicked. This is exactly what God says will happen to our grief. It will simply fall from our feet like the dust. Or better yet, since we're in Florida, it will fall off of our feet like the sand. But don't miss God's point here. Because again, when we're the ones taking sand off. It's us who's doing the work. But pay attention to God's point because this happens not because of what we deserve. This happens not because of what we have done, but rather if you go back and you look at verse 3, all of this occurs because it is the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, don't miss the encouragement of what God is sharing to his people in this moment. God who loved us first. God who does not change. God who does not consume us. God who cares for the faithful. God will be the one who will remove our pain like dust. Because God is the one who does 
and God is the one who will do the work. Now, looking at our text again, God now moves into what will happen on the day he comes and how he will work for the good of his people. Look with me and we'll close with this, verses four through six. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now in this passage, God literally and clearly gives us the what is next and yet at the same time reveals more about his plan to come. Thus, in verses four through six, we are getting a glimpse into our God who has a plan and through that plan, we now see that he is a holy God. Verse four, he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Now, Horeb was just another name for Mount Sinai, which is where God calls the people to now remember this moment because it was here that the rules and the statutes of God were revealed so that the people of God could then see that they were now his special people. And thus, by his grace, they have now been called to be set apart according to his word. They have been called to be devoted to him in service, and they have been called to be a holy nation because he is a holy God. At the same time, we see a reference to the coming Elijah, who was a, a mediator of the covenant and would remind the people of their sin and call them to return and, and repent and turn to God, or better yet, to hear the words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then God in verse 6, gives an incredible promise of what is to come. He says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, most of us see this and hear this as the prophecy to come, and, and you would be correct. You would be correct. This is, this is pointing us to John the Baptist. It's pointing us to Jesus Christ. But I also want us to see what's actually happening in our text. You see, things had gotten so bad for God's people that family relationships had broken down. The people's hearts had become so hardened, their words had become so harsh, their doubt and disbelief in God had led to an erosion of the nuclear family. And that is similar to what we are seeing today. As parents, we have abandoned our post of seeing to and leading our children in their spiritual upbringing. As fathers, we have abandoned our role to faithfully lead our families. And this is what we do as dads. We say, well, our responsibility is to provide for our family. And then this is what we do. We stop at the part of financial provision. We fail to see that as husbands and as fathers, we have the biblical responsibility to provide for our family spiritually as well. We watch shows that show, that teach our kids that families are to be divided, that moms and dads are dumb. And we're just okay with it. And then what happens? Our kids grow up. They become men and women. They grow in, in not maturity of the word, but they grow in maturity of the society. 
And then they get married and then they become moms and dads themselves. And then ultimately they follow the same cycle where they abandon their posts and then their children are left to fend for themselves. Thus, the broken family has led to a hard heart which has been spurned from hard words towards a holy God who clearly, according to his word, has said to us that there is a standard. And so God in his goodness, God in his holiness, again, God could have abandoned us at that point, but he didn't, tells the people that he will not only come to restore the relationships of families, but spiritually he is coming to restore the relationship between his children, his people, and himself as God the Father. I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ, are you you putting together what is happening on this Palm Sunday? We opened the book of Malachi with God telling us in the first verse that he has loved us first. From there, it was God who then told us that he hasn't changed. From there, it was a holy God who said he would not consume us. From there, it was God who said that he hears us, sees us, and records us. And now in his love, it is God who says that he is coming to restore the relationship between himself and his people. Now again, this is all a prophetic word that Elijah is coming. We see that in the Gospels. One of our favorite characters, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have come to prepare the way of the Lord. I have come to restore God's people back to God. But I'm not the one who's going to do the work. There is one coming, is what John the Baptist says. And who comes? Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, the restorer of our souls the restorer of our relationship between us and God, the restorer of our families, the one who brings kindness and goodness and grace and mercy upon wings, the one who we can now rest in. It is Jesus who comes. By the way, more on that next week. And it's at this point, God closes Malachi with another word of distinction where the faithful will be separated from the faithless. He ends in verse six by saying, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In other words, God is coming to restore the faithful. But he's a holy God. He's coming to judge. He's coming to bring destruction that which the Lord has set apart for destruction. And so, God, through Malachi in this moment, teaches that a refusal to repent, a refusal to heed these words, a lack of repentance in your own life, a lack of seeking forgiveness will ultimately lead to your destruction. And we know the rest of the story. Because Jesus Christ did come. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You see, here's the reality. Jesus Christ is the crossroads for the world. History divided. 
with Jesus Christ. And now we will be separated as the faithful from the faithless. And as Malachi said, it is God who is preparing in us the hope that is to come when Jesus Christ comes. That's the prophecy. But now we can take that same prophecy and say this. He is preparing in us the hope that is to come when he returns. And so, faith family, I want to ask you today, do you see the assurance that comes from a holy God? A holy God who in the midst of our pain, it is a holy God who reminds us that there is a plan. A God that reminds us, a holy God that reminds us that that plan is for our good. A holy God that says that not only is that plan for our good, but ultimately it is for his glory. Faith family, I hope you rest in the hope today that we worship and serve a holy God who has a plan for us. And so our book comes to a close. And what I hope we have seen in the midst of six disputes is that there is still a holy God who still loves and cares for his people and loves and cares for his creation. We still serve God, a God, our God, who even when our hearts are hard, even when our words are harder, it is still God who comes to us, still calling us to repent. And in the midst of our faithlessness, it is God who still reminds us that he is faithful. And now we move through Holy Week. The week where the prophecies of Malachi would have fulfilled prophecies that God would come and he did in the form of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ came to set apart his people. Christ came because he's not just a covenant maker. He's a covenant keeper. Christ came to call us to continue to press on, straining on towards the goal that is heavenward in Christ Jesus. Christ came so that we could be restored. But I want to leave you with this thought. If you forget everything else we talked about in Malachi, remember the words of Malachi 1.1. He came because he first loved us. This is why, like the believers in Malachi's today, we too can now come together and worship and look to God in hope and cling to his covenant grace. To God be the glory for his great love. To God be the glory for his great grace. And let's pray together.